0: The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the International Broadcast Specialist Marketeers.
1: Welcome, everybody, to our Provoke Global Podcast. Um, This year, as we approach uh, our Provoke Global meeting in Washington, D.C., Um, We are partnering with Unlock Health um, on some supplemental content for that event. And I am delighted to welcome today uh, Shannon McIntyre-Hoopa, Hooper, is the president of Unlock Health, and Dan Lavelle, the chief strategy officer. And um, we're going to be talking a little bit about disruption and how um, the disruption of the last few years is redefining the agency world. Um, but let's let's start by just getting a quick introduction to unlock health and uh, uh, tell me a little bit about your backstory and your mission.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much for having us, Paul. It is such a pleasure to be here. So yeah, I I can start with a little bit about who we are and what we're doing, and then we'll share a bit about my background. But Unlock Health officially launched in April of this year as a single source of growth partner for healthcare providers. So what that means is our services actually span the full range of marketing communications, all channels, kind of reaching all audiences, a consulting offering, and then even some technology solutions that help connect that full ecosystem. And even though we're a new brand to the market, we're actually bringing together a number of different best in class teams via acquisition. So we're a fully functioning organization at this point. We've got about 140 people, we have 265 clients. Uh, largely healthcare providers, many hospitals, also behavioral health, senior living. So do a lot of work spanning all the way from brand into performance marketing and have the holistic marcom suite in the middle. Um, so I'll I'll share a little bit about my, my background, and then we'll pass it to you, Dan. But. I am a, a long timer in the healthcare PR communications and marketing space. I began my career at Burson Marsteller, so pre BCW days uh, in the PR field, spent time client side at Intel for a number of years, and then was part of the team that built and eventually um, sold Revive Health, a boutique Marcom agency, to Weber Shandwick and IPG. And so a lot of those experiences really informed the basic thesis of Unlock Health and and needing to do something a little bit differently in the agency world. I know we're going to talk a lot today about disruption and what all of these convergences of different markets mean for for our business, but a lot of that history really informed where we are today. So it's great to be here.
0: And I'll jump on from from what Shannon said. So good morning, Paul. Good to see you. We're looking forward to seeing you in a few weeks um, at at the conference. Um, So yeah, just building on what Shannon said, a a large part of my role is bringing together the technology componentry to be able to support what we're doing from an agency perspective. And that's really sort of what we'll get into a little bit today. But being able to work with customers, uh, work with partners to be able to blend the right mix of services and technology together to drive growth. Um, And it's, you know, a lot of my days working with clients, working with customers to really understand what the right mix of services and technology look like to drive growth and ultimately that CFO defensible return on investment that that they realize um, in being able to put marketing dollars uh, out in the field.
1: Um, and I know we're we're going to talk a little bit about the background of what makes the industry particularly ripe for disruption right now, um, and we're going to talk about the way you've structured your offering. And I just want to be um, I just want to be clear about how your approach works and um, how it fits into sort of the historical view of. Um, a full service or a fully integrated offering Um, because um, I think in the past people have used the word integrated um, to essentially mean an ad agency that buys a bunch of firms to do everything else so you know the ad guys take care of the paid and then they have units to take care of the earned shared and and owned channels um often but perhaps not always subordinate to advertising which has tend tended to be the 800 pound gorilla simply because it's its revenues are are more significant um, but from your description, Shannon, it sounds as though you've structured it the way I always felt it theoretically ought to be structured, which is to say that at the centre is consulting, mm-hmm. and the consulting is channel and media neutral, and then you bring in the other disciplines, the the various sort of full service disciplines in the proportions that make sense for solving a particular client problem. And very rarely have I seen that implemented. And I don't know if it's because the wrong people have been implemented and they had incentives to inter- to implement it in a suboptimal way or whether it simply works well in theory but not in practice. Um, what? Tell me a little bit about your experience to date in yeah. how you've put this how you've put this offer together and how it's been received by clients.
2: Yeah, I mean, you, you described it really well, Paul. That is ultimately what we're going for. Is beginning with this heart of you can you can think of it as consulting, or you can just think of it as expertise around uh, an industry and the business problems that that industry or those client organizations face. And when you get really deep into that and are able to have those strategic conversations with the marketing, the communications leaders, sometimes we're working with the head of strategy, sometimes with the full C-suite, then we're able to say, okay, based on that business challenge and the audiences you need to reach to solve that business challenge, we can bring together the right mix of whether it's media or communications channels, paid earned, owned, all of that, but also the right technology components, because I think some of what we'll get into today, and this is where Dan has a lot of expertise, is being able to demonstrate the ROI of that channel mix is really important, but even more challenging when you're looking at how all of these different pieces come together. So that's what we're trying to solve for is bigger business challenges, Start with the expertise, start with the consulting, wrap it with the right mix of channels, services, and technologies, and then prove out its impact in the wild. So that's exactly what we're looking to do. Okay, that, I mean,
1: forgive me, I, I, I'm not diminishing your the strategic thinking that went into mm-hmm. this in any way. But that seems like such an obvious idea and such an (laughs) obvious approach. I'd like to understand why it hasn't happened or why it hasn't worked or why it hasn't become the universal model Mm -hmm. for our industry long before 2023.
2: Yeah, so I'll give you my opinion. I don't know that I know the exact answer. I have two hypotheses though, Paul. So one of them is, you know oftentimes in some of the really big holding companies, larger agencies, there are kind of different agencies focused on different parts of the channel mix. And so I think that sometimes makes it difficult for one particular agency to own all of it. Now, I do think that a number of the holding companies are trying to solve this with teams that span and come out of all of the different agencies that they have in the mix. But that brings me to my second hypothesis of why this hasn't worked really well, is I think that to be able to tie together all of the right components and to actually know what is the best mix of services and technologies, you have to have incredibly deep expertise in the industry. And so that's where I think that a lot of the kind of pulling together many pieces and parts from a a lot of different places falls down because you may then have the right set of skills, capabilities, channels, but it's really hard to put them all together in the right way if your team isn't incredibly deep in the business challenges of that sector that you are working with. So I think that's the other component. That's why we're really focused on healthcare, but even within that, we are very deeply focused on healthcare providers. I think that gives us the ability to know that industry inside and out, and then to be able to say, because we're working with hundreds of these players across the country, all right, we know the different pieces that need to go together because we've done it before. That's So those are my hypotheses, but Paul, you probably have your own hypothesis as well, which I'd be curious to hear.
1: Well, I I, I suspect that the first of your hypothesis, uh, hypotheses mm-hmm. um, is, um, it is one very good structural reason why it hasn't happened in that you know you have a number of people who are um uh, uh i promised myself i wasn't going to use this phrase who who have grown up in a single swim lane mm-hmm. and who believe that that is the superior discipline this well i in in my experience a lot of those people tend to work in advertising but let's leave that aside for now whichever it is and so there is a a preordained bias towards that particular discipline and Mm -hmm. so integration actually becomes a lead discipline with lots of little support disciplines around it Um, and i think that's i think that's plagued our industry for so long that the the balance between who has the most dollars and who delivers the best thinking is not exactly in, in synchronicity. Yeah. Um, but I, I also think that, um, I also think that we can discuss this if you like, there is a challenge to having um, a consulting um a consulting business at the center or a business problem solving Mm -hmm. concept at the center and all of the delivery mechanisms. Because I have seen in other agencies that this leads to um, campaigns that suit the mix of capabilities that the agency has, which are not always perfectly aligned with the needs that the clients have. Mm -hmm. And so at some point, self-interest kicks in and you want your most profitable or biggest budget services to get the lion's share of of the business. I I don't know if that makes sense and I don't know if you've sort of thought that through and have a plan to avoid it. Dan, I I sense you itching to to (laughs) throw in some thoughts here. No, I
0: think it's, we can't be a hammer looking for a nail. You know, I think it's it's truly working backwards from the business problem and the customer need and doing what's best for, for their business, not what's always best for our business in the moment in the short term. And I think, you know, for for a while, uh, clients would would work through that with their agency partners. But I think we've reached a moment in time where budgets are more constrained than they've ever been. Resources are harder to come by. Teams are smaller internally. And our clients are looking for one organization that they can partner with across a variety of places that always that always has the client's best interest in mind. Because ultimately, that's how they see value. For long term, so it's not a short term game um, that we're playing. It's very much a long term partnership game, and that's easy to easy to say. It's a little bit harder to do in practice, but it's just part of the the ethos of of what we're building at Unlock Health. I,
1: I'm very conscious that what I said earlier about you know the the need for somebody to be taking that lead consulting role. Frankly, I've always thought that that should be public relations, and and given you a background, Shannon, I hope you have some sympathy for that idea. Um, but but it also almost always seems to devolve into a sort of turf war, Um mm-hmm with you know the advertising agencies advocating for the primacy of advertising and the digital firms are arguing for digital first and public relations arguing for earned at the center and and, and we become territorial about it and i assume um i assume that that's one of the things that from your perspective made the public relations, marketing, communications sector um, ripe for the kind of disruption that you've been seeing over the last year or so?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I I think so. I think that's a big piece of it. There's a few other things that we're also seeing converge that I think is leading towards this kind of moment of disruption. Um, You know, one of them is, I would say, you know, 10, 20 years ago, maybe as recent as five years ago, it was appropriate to have some separation between these things. Um, you know, and especially between technology and services, because the Martech field was more nascent. It was really a lot of figuring out how to start putting them together. But I do think that one of the big disruptions today is this um this convergence, this consolidation in some ways of technology and services, and almost kind of rendering this idea to your point, Paul of digital marketing or digital communications, it's just obsolete, right? That's like us saying, I'm going to do some digital banking today or some digital shopping today, right? It's just banking or shopping and you're just assuming that digital is built into it and it goes without saying that the customer consumer journeys are digitized. But I think that's impacting what clients are expecting from their agency partners as well, and making it a lot more difficult to say, hey, that's my digital shop over there, here's my technology partner over here, here's some advertising there, and then I'll kind of pull in PR over there, right? There's this expectation for technology to be embedded within the services themselves, uh, whether it's increasing efficiency, increasing output, it's just creating a new value equation. And we have to deliver on that to our clients because of smaller budgets, more attention to an expectation of clear ROI. And we have to bring those together for our clients or I just don't think they're going to accept it any longer.
1: Okay, so you you had shared some research about clients being um, uh, worried that their agencies weren't adapting quickly enough. And, and certainly I've, I've, over the years, seen public relations in particular, um, three to five years behind the, the technology curve, whether that was, you know, when, when the Internet, first, I'm old enough to remember when we didn't have an Internet. So when the Internet first arrived, uh, when Web 2.0 was a thing, when mm-hmm. social media was a thing. Um, and I, I've been at meetings where PR people, you know, three, or, three to five years late, were starting to figure out where we fit in that. Um, I will say that that my feeling has been that we have been slightly better in recent years than, than we were. Um, but, but talk your discussion of technology at the center uh, makes me wonder, uh, what what is the difference between having a great tech stack, which is what I hear all the time from from PR agencies, you know we, we think we'd put our tech stack up against anybody's, and having technology at the center of the business and driving the business. And why is the latter better and, and more important?
0: Yeah, I think it's an interesting question because it ultimately is not about the technology. It's about the insights gained from having the technology that allow you to make smarter decisions about what channels you use in, in what sequence to solve a business problem. So if you have, if you, you, you can have all of the, Uh, response-based ad management tools. We can have all of the PR impression-based tools. We can have all of the digital technology and email tools at our disposal, but ultimately looking at the thread that ties all of them together and saying, are all of these efforts leading towards some sort of demonstrable business impact. And once we know what works, we can do more of what works and we can guide clients. Maybe more importantly, Paul, we can also figure out what doesn't work and we can figure out what doesn't work faster. And that is the value of technology for a client, is being able to move faster, to make decisions faster, which ultimately drives speed to revenue, speed to brand performance, speed to making an impact in a market. And you can only get that if you have the technology, yes, but also if you have the ability to do something based on the insights that you glean from the technology. And I think that's super important when you talk about impact of a a marketing team, of a PR team working together.
1: Let's let's talk a little bit too about what's going on on the client side of the business. Um, I I spend more time with CCOs than I do with CMOs, so I'm I'm prepared to be um, proven wrong when it comes to CMOs, um, but my feeling about CCOs is is that they haven't necessarily been any faster than their agency partners to embrace new technologies or to, to put technology um, and and the kind of things you're talking about, Dan, and in terms of, you know, uh, customer or stakeholder insights at the center of what they do. So what kind of changes have you seen on the client side over the last Few years that makes this particularly relevant now.
0: Yeah, I think there's there's probably two things that that come to mind. Um, one, I think global, and one specific to our healthcare industry. I think the first is that chief marketing officers, in terms of tenure, continues to decline. Um, interestingly enough, post COVID, right? So the the average tenure is now less than four years of of a chief marketing officer. And I think we see chief marketing officers who are now not single, um, single vertical or single capability specific. They really have to be able to see the gamut of how all of the various parts of a marketing looks come together. I think we see this front and center in healthcare, which is the second part of this. I mean, you mentioned PR is typically four to five years behind. Healthcare as an industry is typically a decade behind in terms of leveraging the latest tools and technologies and data at their disposal. And I think it's interesting in healthcare when we talk to our clients because the the decision-making power in healthcare is shifting to the consumer, right? It was typically referral driven. It was, I go where my doctor tells me to go, I trust my physician, all of that is still true, but now I'm also gonna go to Dr. Google and I'm gonna search for what ails me and I'm gonna make a decision based on price or convenience. That decision-making power shifting to the consumer puts the chief marketing officer in the hot seat in a boardroom. I know because I, I came from the client side. I've been in those boardrooms, right? And it's there, there are now boards, CEOs, strategy officers, chief medical officers who are looking at the CMO saying, help us communicate differently. and Bring the, bring the disruptive technologies to the fold. And that's a seat that most healthcare CMOs um, typically haven't had. Um, it's the last three to five years, and they suddenly are getting invited to these sessions, these strategic planning sessions, not as a cost center, but as an investment center, saying we now see the marketing team as our pathway to more profitable, sustainable growth.
1: Mm-hmm. And yet, the again, some of the research that you showed me um, suggests that the majority, perhaps the vast majority of marketers feel like they don't have the budget Um and by influence, inference, the influence necessary um, for, for all the challenges that the market uh, is, is throwing up at them these days. And I, I wondered if you had some thoughts on why that was, and is that essentially um, a, a failure on the part of marketing, and again, by extension, communications and public relations, um, to, to prove its value, to demonstrate, you know, harder ROI numbers.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think the short answer to your question is yes, Paul, and then the, the, I'll give a longer answer to it. So you know, I think you're referencing, there was some really good work done by Gartner earlier this year with surveys of marketing and communications leaders. And they found that 71% of marketing leaders say they lack the budget to deliver on their business strategy. So when we think about the reasons behind that, there are a couple of factors in my mind. You know, One is, yes, this lack of consistent and clear ROI to be able to justify marketing and communications as investment centers versus cost centers. That's one big piece. And then I also think there have probably been maybe connected to that historical overspend in areas that have not delivered the value that was expected. You know, when you think about, MarTech stacks, which I know you referenced earlier, Paul, I think there's been a bit of a pendulum swing there. So if you think about, again, 10, 15 years ago, you know, really only the most sophisticated communications and marketing leaders knew how to deploy those integrated technologies to support the full customer journey. Then MarTech became increasingly in vogue. Like you said, everyone's talking about their tech stacks. There's an explosion of investment in this discipline but yet often without the internal skills to effectively deploy it. So that meant that you're putting a lot of money into this. Um, You know, you're seeing that tech stack often become a little bit, ironically, both bloated and underutilized. And this is leading to, I think, the next pendulum swing, right? In that same Gartner study, it talked about how uh, three quarters of marketers Say they are under pressure to cut back their Martex spin now, when ironically that's what you need to prove ROI. And and I do think this is creating a fundamentally different set of pressures on agency partners because the clients are saying look, I got to cut back on these spins on a number of these different areas, but I still have to prove ROI. And for me to give you more budget, you need to demonstrate to me that what we're doing is is a revenue center. And so then now it is on us to be able to prove that out, demonstrate it. And therefore, I just don't think we have any alternative than to actually invest in our own technology stack to prove out the ROI, both to justify the spend, But much more importantly, and I think this goes a little bit back to your earlier point, Paul, around kind of that consulting being at the center and the way to make sure that the self-interest doesn't get in the way. If we are really holding ourselves accountable to report on true ROI and revenue generation for all of the different channels, that is what informs where the dollars go. And then that is ultimately doing what is best for the client to solve that business problem but it also allows us to know where we need to invest our t- time to build out more capabilities too. How,
1: how do you avoid the the problem um, that has been expressed to me by a number of people on the client side of the business, that what you're talking about there, measuring the ROI of the work you do, is a little like marking your own homework.
2: <laughs> Fair <laughs> point. I'll let Dan, I know you think about this a lot.
0: Yeah. I th- um, one of the conversations we have with almost every client is how does your CFO define ROI? Because ultimately you're, you're right, Paul, if, if marketers in a vacuum define their own ROI, they would rely on the, the pieces completely in their control.
1: Oh, uh, no, it's the reason I mean, forgive me for a mini rant. It's the reason why we still see even in Sabre Awards entries, which are supposedly the best work that's being done around the industry, that people in developed markets continue to use advertising equivalency as a measure of of PR success is that you know, it allows you to say, well, we spent this much on advertising and got this, and we spent this much on PR and we got this, and that's a comparison and that's how it works out. When the reality is that none of it is delivering what I would call ROI. None of that is a measure of of what you're getting back for every dollar spent. Um, Completely, completely agree
0: with you. No, rant rant accepted and rant completely agreed because Mm -hmm. measurement cannot be related to vanity metrics, right? It also cannot be isolated to a single channel or a single capability. Really, the, the marketer of the future will have a conversation and a dialogue with their chief financial officer and ultimately ask the question, how do you define, Mrs. or Mr. CFO, the impact of marketing? And when we talk to clients, it's always, it's revenue, yeah. right? But, it to, is, but,
1: but to your your point earlier, marketers can control how how much of their message is delivered yeah they can't control or or they don't know that they can control how people will react once the message has been received right um and and, and actually there's a difference between delivering the message and receiving the message and a lot of interference in between but but it's I, and I don't want this to turn into a discussion of ROI, which wasn't uh, what what we talked about earlier. But um, but obviously, it's central to the approach that you have, and and critical um, to to your success going forward. Um, yeah. And. Yes, my experience is that CFOs and CEOs have a totally different definition of 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 ROI, which is, of course, why we see the the turnover that we see right now in senior marketing positions. And I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not sure that agencies. In addition to my worry that we're marking our own homework, I'm also not sure that agencies are doing enough to. Help their clients get job security, um, yeah. and partly it's because we don't push back enough traditionally, right? Or we don't have, we don't have yeah. the data with which to push back.
0: I, I think that's exactly right. It's we don't have the data to push back. We all we we are also somewhat afraid of of going that final mile to take the accountability for where my marketing spend went. And if, if there is, so we see this in healthcare uh, with our clients all the time. Of uh, I spent a lot of money on a hip replacement campaign that drove qualified individuals to uh, practice and the practice made them wait on hold for 10 minutes. So ultimately, what have, what have you done? You've marketed for a competitor. You oh, have qualified no, no, markets I, I, and moved them through, know. right? So this is, so the marketer of the future doesn't just throw their hands up at that. And we, as Unlock Health, train and empower clients to lean into that situation to say, because you've spent X and, and, and you are, the, you are the, the, um, the guarantor of marketing's investment, you now have an accountability to work with your practices, to work with your clinical leaders, to work with your clients, to open up the funnel so ultimately where everyone is better. It is seeking better in every capacity using data.
1: So continuing in in the theme of of disruption, um, I think the last year or so, uh, you know, we've held a number of our own events um, uh, around the world. Uh, I've been to other events, including Cannes. Uh, my, My business partner was in Davos. Um, we've got provoke global coming up, and a thread running through all of them, and pr- through nearly every podcast that I've been involved with in the last year is that the next great disruptor of our business is going to be AI. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, now the the bulk of the focus, um, I think, has been misdirected. Um, I think we're all obsessed with generative AI and whether it's going to start writing press releases better than our account executives can. Um, but there are real, um there is a real potential for disruption by AI in our business. And how are you thinking about that and how are you uh, planning for that in the way that you build uh, your firm?
2: Yeah, so we do have a dedicated innovation team at Unlock Health where we are really focused on, from an AI perspective, How are we applying it to our teams and our work product to make it more efficient? But more importantly, how are we finding ways to utilize it to deliver more value and new offerings to clients that we would not have otherwise been able to? As a a reference point, you're probably familiar with Ethan Mollick, he's at Wharton, does phenomenal work and did this study recently with Boston Consulting Group, which showed that consultants, uh, professional services folks who utilize AI not only manage to tackle 12% more tasks, but also deliver 40% better results, that's all fine and well what's really interesting to me though is the idea of ai as a bit of a performance equalizer so you know the the consultants the professional services folks with lesser skills saw the most significant boost right with like productivity soaring i think it was in the lower 40% or so so the whole idea there for me is this classic adage of ai won't replace marketing and communications practitioners But those who use AI will replace those who don't. And that means that agencies that use AI effectively will replace agencies that don't. So I, I think we're seeing it, you know, in a number of areas where you know, for performance marketing, we're able to use the tool to do more A B testing more effectively. You know, obviously, some of to your, to your point, like generative AI is not everything. Um, it does help, though, with things like inspiration, mood boards, research, a lot of efficiency and effectiveness on on that front uh, but i actually think that where it becomes a lot more interesting is when we talk about the tech stack that we're building and you know one of our teams has been running, campaigns through paid search for 13 years, and all of that data is in a core data set, but to be able to mine that for insights of being able to know very quickly, you know, what keywords do and don't work because of, you know, millions of data points that we have analyzed through AI, that's where it gets to be a lot more insights driven versus just, yep, we're gonna do these things more efficiently, we can give clients a little bit more for the same budget.
1: So I, I think we've touched on a lot of the the things that are going to define the agency of, of the future um and that are going to disrupt agencies that are not fast enough to change. But but briefly and and, and just to conclude, I guess. one mm-hmm. of the what are the big changes that you see taking place? in both the, the marketing sector and and the agency business in particular over the over the next uh, few years. And what is what's going to define successful agencies in this new environment?
2: For me, I think the definition of future success is convergence. So convergence of technology and services, convergence of brand and performance marketing, convergence of industry-specific expertise and deep MarCom savvy. It is just where the industry is headed. It is why we built Unlock Health. And I think with budget pressures, limited time, marketing and communications leaders, clients, just don't have the time or money to stitch all of these solutions together but they have to be put together by someone. So I think that is the big theme and really why we've built what we've built. Um, But Dan, I I would love to hear your thoughts too.
0: I I literally couldn't have said it any better. I completely agree with everything Shannon said. The the only thing I, I would add is that the marketer of the future will be equal parts data strategist, technologist, and marketer of of the past, right? That's really the the remit of the future that I think allows marketing and communications folks to be successful.
1: Okay, so I'm going to be really annoying now because I already said finally, and <laughs> as soon as you started talking, Shannon, I thought, no, I need to follow up. So, right. what are the implications of this for the kind of people we need to bring into our business? Because it it, it it seems to me that if if the ability to, to bring all this together is what you know that convergence is what defines success, there are there are and if you're correct, right? Mm-hmm. Let's assume for the moment that you are. Um, yes, please. <laughs> then it seems to me that. You know, the PR professional of 10 years ago, or five years ago, or maybe even two years ago, is not necessarily fit for purpose in this new world or that those who can't adapt and change are not. And that we need to bring in a lot of people with skills that are not the skills that we relied on in the past. We're going to need to recruit from places that were not the places we relied on for talent in the past. How does the, t- how does the talent equation change as a result mm-hmm. of all this?
2: We think about this so much, Paul. I feel like we're talking about this every day. So for me, I think there's there's two ways to look at it. One is absolutely, we are going to need to bring in more people with more diversity of skill sets and backgrounds, not just the traditional set of capabilities. But for me, that's not even the most important part. It's more that qualitative element of people, because I believe that if you get folks who have deep intellectual curiosity Uh, Hunger for trying new things and learning new things. I don't care if they have proven the ability to analyze data, do earned media, you know, write effective content and make buys on Google. They can learn. So for me, it's just about getting the people with the right frame of mind Commitment to building something fundamentally new for the agency. Uh, and if you get those people together, that's where the magic happens. And that's what we're trying to drive.
1: Great. Any additional thoughts on that, Dan, before we wind up? I, I, I think to me, it's I not about. You're fairly non traditional, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, I I didn't come from an agency background. I, I came from a client background and, and a technology and SaaS background. And I think to, to me, it's almost less about the individual and more about how leaders build teams and effective teams, right? Because we need, clients need the domain expertise in whatever it is they're doing, automotive, healthcare, you know, hospitality. You need that, right? And I think it's the same for legacy PR professionals. There's an art. To great PR. There's a there's an art for great copywriting. We need those. But then we also have to have the left brain, right brain, right? We have to complement those individuals with domain expertise with folks who have a, a separate or new domain expertise through like true beauty is being able to meld those together in an effective team. And I think that's what really sets both client-side teams and agency teams apart.
1: Right. so And again, I have one more question. And then I really will wrap it up. Okay. But you're you're doing this in a very specific and defined sector, right? So so you're healthcare specialists, but you're also um really payer provider specialists. Mm-hmm. Um is 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 the model that you've built in that sector replicable across the rest of our industry does it does it work as well does it have the same potential in i mean technology okay sure but fashion and beauty or travel and leisure or the food and beverage categories do you think it work do you think it it's it's a you've got a sort of universal model that you're just applying in in one particularly um, lucrative sector or do you think it, it's um, it's a universal idea
0: no. I, I'll, I'll say one thing I don't know if I have a strong opinion on this but I think if you can find me a chief marketing officer or a chief client officer who is not experiencing an unparalleled amount of complexity, budget constraint, the need to manage channels and partners all more cohesively. Like uh, That would be really interesting. I haven't met that person yet, but I think that cuts across all verticals. And I think that lends towards the model we're building of uh, that single source per- partner that brings domain expertise. I-, I would, I would like to think it's replicable because ultimately the client challenges tend to be somewhat... Um, the same across across verticals, and I don't know what you
2: think. I agree. I totally agree with that. I I think it should be replicable. It's all about being able to address and understand a cluster of business problems within a particular sector or industry. So I I totally agree.
1: Great. Okay. Um, I want to thank uh both of you for your time today. Um, for um, laying the groundwork for what I hope will be a constant theme of provoke global, um, which you know, particularly our entrepreneurs forum, which is is um, for agency leaders um, who I think need to think through all of these issues and and what the agency of the future looks like and how disruption is going to um, upend a lot of what uh, we've we've done in the past. Um, And I hope our audience has enjoyed this conversation and there are um, still tickets available for Provoke Global. So if you wanna hear more of this kind of challenging, provocative, forward-looking content, um, I hope you'll join us in Washington DC in a couple of weeks. Thank you very much, Dan and Shannon.
2: Thank you so much, Paul. Always good spending time together. Looking forward to seeing you at the event soon.
1: Absolutely.
0: You've been listening to the Provoke podcast brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.